turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. Welcome our visitors today. Slender ushers come forward to receive her offering. And if you are visiting with us today and you received the little guest packet a while ago, there's a guest card on the inside. We'd appreciate if you just take that and fill it out and drop in an offering plate in just a moment. As I said earlier, we'd like to send you some information this week about the church. We want you to get to know us and we want to get to know you. We're thrilled and honored that you have chosen to worship with us today. 
It's good to have those that are visiting with us. Good to have the Frigerios with us, missionaries to Kenya. Would you folks stand? They're visiting with Jackie Strickland today. Let's welcome them to the service. It's good to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. And others, we're so glad that you're here. Be sure to make note of the changes in the bulletin or in the bulletin of the changes in our meetings tonight because of our Christmas program last week. We've moved our deacons meeting to tonight and then the missions will be next Sunday night. Wasn't that a great program last Sunday night with the kids? Didn't they do a great job? I don't think I've enjoyed one anymore. It was a great job. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then, of course, I want to remind you now, the end of this month is we have a fifth Sunday in December. As we close out 2001, we'll be taking our final offering this year. And I say, I put emphasis, our final offering this year. Amen? And for our building program. And so I hope that you're praying now about a special gift and I uh, hope that you'll plan, plan on giving generously and sacrificially on the last Sunday of this month. And then, of course, next year is when we really get down to business about things and get serious about things, excited about what's been happening and the money that has come in so far. And we're almost at our goal and uh, just what we set for just for this year. And we're excited about that and still have one more Sunday to go. And it'll help us to really get a jump on our goals for next year. But we're excited about the building and excited about all the plans that we have. Last Sunday night, we were able to show you just a few sketches just from the schematic drawings of what the new building will look like. But we're having a video prepared right now. It's a 3D video, and which you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy that. It'll give you a totally different perspective on things. You'll be able to see the building, our buildings, and how they all connect together even before we break ground. So we're hoping to have that by Christmas. That's at least what they've told us, and so we're praying that will get, get here to us so we can show that to you. But I hope that you're praying about it and give and faithful every week in your giving and give to the Lord, tithe and honor the Lord, give offerings to the Lord, and God will bless you for it. Amen? Amen. And I appreciate the way many of you are giving and trust that many of you will learn the joy of giving to the Lord. But it is an exciting time, and as we get further and further along, uh, getting even more and more exciting. But let's pray now. You give today and be faithful every Sunday in your giving. It is so critical to what we're doing. Father, we thank you now for the joy of being able to give to you. What a blessing it is. What a privilege it is to be able to give a portion of that which you have blessed us with back to you and, Lord, to be able to express our love to you and our appreciation and even to obey you in this matter. What a joy it is. So, Father, bless now the offering and the giving of your people today. And then, Father, as we move forward into our building plans, I pray that you would bless our special offerings, our special contributions. I pray that you'd put it in the heart of every member to want to be a part of what is going on, and may it be reflected in their giving to this program. So we thank you again. Bless now the service in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm thankful they're all possible. All things are possible with God. This has been our theme song over the past summer uh, with uh, many things going on in, in life and in the world. Uh, we found this song just to be such a tremendous blessing and uh, such a source of encouragement. And so I hope it's the same for you this morning.
Let's all stand. I am glad that there is no problem or situation or need that is beyond our Lord's ability, aren't you? The Lord is teaching us that around here, you know that? He really is, and He will be teaching that to us much more in the days to come. And I'm glad that He brings us to those places in our life where we have to trust Him. It brings us to those hours in our life that we have to believe Him and have to rely upon Him and depend upon Him. Aren't you glad for that? Let's sing this little chorus, He is Lord, and then we're going to be opening His Word, Galatians 5. But let's sing this. Folks are praying and folks have come. And let's just continue to be open to what God wants to do in our hearts. You continue to be open to what God wants to do in your heart this morning. But let's sing this little chorus. He is Lord. You know it. Let's sing it. The ladies are playing it. Let's sing it with them. He is Lord. And He is Lord. Amen. Sing it now. Sing it to the Lord. Amen. Lord of all things. He is Lord over everything. Yes. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for reminding us this morning that you are God. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us of your ability and of the promises of your word. 
The scripture tells us, Lord, there is nothing impossible for you. And Father, that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful promises of your word and how we've been reminded of them today. Our, my heart needed to be reminded of your ability and what you can do. So we thank you now for all you've done. The Lord, continue to minister to hearts, continue to work in hearts. Open at your word to us today. May we hear your voice through your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bible. Look in Galatians chapter 5. Just remain standing for the reading of his word. While you're finding your place in Galatians 5, let me just... Uh, Remind you of the little insert that you have in your bulletin today during the month of December throughout the month of January We're emphasizing the matter of serving in 2002 And we want all of you to be involved finding your place in God's work and serving the Lord in 2002 and so just put that in your Bible and uh, We'll give you instructions what to do with that tonight one verse of Scripture we've been looking at questions in the Bible and if I'm not mistaken, today is our eighth question. But I want you to look at one question. And this speaks to my heart. And I want you to look at it today. I believe God wants, God wants to say something to us. But look in Galatians 5 and notice verse 7. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. Here's the question. <clears throat> you did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Now look at it again. Paul makes this statement. You did run well. Now, here's the question. Who did hinder you? Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And this morning, let's look at this question. Let's ask the question, who did hinder you? Let's look at that. Our Father, this morning, in Jesus' name, as we come this morning, we thank you, Lord, for... Again, all you've done. And we come now, Lord, to open your word. And Father, your written word. And I pray today that you'll take what we look at and the thoughts that are set before us and that you would speak to our hearts and you would deal with our hearts and continue to further the work of the Spirit of God in this service. Thank you again now for your word in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake we pray, amen. When I think about runners, and in particular, Olympic runners, one of the first names that comes to my mind is the name of Eric Little. Eric Little, many of you may recognize the name, but I'm sure you recognize or remember the movie that came out several years ago entitled Chariots of Fire. And the movie Chariots of Fire told the story of his decision, Eric Little's decision not to run on Sunday during the 1924 Olympics that were held in Paris. He was, uh, many thought that his best chance for a gold medal was the 100, the 100 meter race. But when the schedules were posted, the 100 meter race was to be run on Sunday. Eric Little was a devout Christian. And so he refused to run on Sunday. To Eric Little, running on Sunday would be breaking the Sabbath. You wouldn't believe the pressure that was put on Eric Little to make him, uh, the pressure to get him to make an exception just this one time. The press criticized him. The majority of the public 
criticized him. He was even accused of being unpatriotic, denying Scotland a chance at the glory. Now look up here at me. He's not preaching. I'm preaching. Say amen right now. So look up here, all right? And he was even called legalistic. But still, Eric Little refused to run on Sunday, even if it meant losing a chance to win the medal. So what they decided to do was allow Eric Little to run the 400-meter race. Someone would run the 100-meter on Sunday, and Eric Little would be able to run the 400-meter on Tuesday, I believe it was. But many felt that he had no chance at all to win a gold medal or to win a medal in the 400-meter race. But just before he ran, someone walked up to him and handed him a note that read, in the old book it says, he that honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best of success always. Eric Little did honor God, and God did honor Eric Little. For he not only won the 400-meter race, but he broke a world record in the process. Eric Little went on to become a missionary in China. And he was captured by the Japanese after they invaded China in 1938. And he was placed in an internment camp. Conditions there were very severe. And on February the 21st, 1945, Eric Little died in that internment camp. I guess you could say this morning that in more than one way that Eric Little ran his race and he ran it well. As we continue looking at questions in the Bible... There's a question today that I want us to look at that speaks to us of the matter of running. Paul made the statement in, in our text today, Galatians 5, 7, you did run well. And then he asked the question, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Again, the picture is of a runner running in the race or running in a race. As you read the Bible, you'll find that many times the Apostle Paul used this athletic metaphor to describe certain spiritual truths and certain things about our Christian life. But I want to suggest to you today that the question that was asked of the church of Galatia leaps from the pages of the Word of God and it winds its way from Galatia throughout history and it comes to us today and it challenges each of us to ask ourselves the question, how are we running the race? So I want us to examine this question. And I want you to keep in mind the picture of a runner running his race. And there are three words in, this, in the text there that I want you to mark. And we'll answer the question by marking those three words. Are you with me now? Say amen. amen. First of all, I want you to think with me about a personally run race. A personally run race. And I want to draw your attention to the little personal pronoun, the little word ye. Ye, in verse 7 there, ye did run well. Ye, or as we would say, you. You see, there is something very personal about this race that is being run. You run the race, or you did run well. You see, it reminds us that this race is made up of individual runners. You realize today that every believer is a runner in a heavenly race? Every person that has been saved is a runner in this race. And at the moment of your salvation, you became a runner in the race of life. You might say this morning that every Christian, every believer is a member of God's track team. We are a representative of a heavenly country in the race of life. 
So there's something very personal about this race. Well, as you look at the Bible, as I mentioned a moment ago, many times in the Bible you'll find the picture of a runner running the race. And when you look at the different times this picture is used, you learn something about the race that is being run. For one thing, you learn something about the personal nature of this race. I want you to look at a couple of things about it by looking at other pictures in the Bible of running the race and how personal the race is. I want you to notice, first of all, when you think about the personal nature of this race and that it is a personally run race, I think about, first of all, a course on which we run. There is a course on which we run. I think about the words of Hebrews 12 and verse 1. The Bible said in Hebrews 12, 1, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now get the picture. There's a runner. There is a race. It is a race that is set before us. You see that phrase, set before us? It speaks of a course or a lane that has been assigned to us. It is a race that has been set before us. It is a course that has been set before us. It is a lane that has been set before us. It speaks of a predetermined course. It is that lane or track or course that has been assigned to us. You see, the words remind us of our assignment by God. Now, you listen to me this morning. As believers, God has given every Christian a course to run. And when I talk about this course, I'm talking about God's will for our life. God has a plan and God has a purpose for every believer. When we talk about the will of God, we're talking about that which involves every person in this room today. When we talk about the will of God, we're not talking about just something for me. We're talking about something for every believer. We're talking about that which is very personal. There is the will of God for my life, but there is also the will of God for your life. And there is the will of God for every believer's life. If you've ever participated in track or watched a track event, then you know that the course is marked off in a number of lanes. And God's course has many lanes. The lane that he's put me in is the one of preaching the Word of God. That's my lane. But you have your lane as well. It's that lane that's been assigned to you by God. It is that course that has been assigned to you by God. It's His will for your life. It's His plan. It's His purpose for every believer's life. William Moore wrote, Don't think that God's plan only includes ministers, Christian leaders, missionaries, Sunday school teachers, and lay workers. The truth is God calls everyone. You see, there's that course on which we run. It is that course that has been assigned by God. Now, the will of God for your life may be as mine. It may be that God has called you to preach, and there are a number of you here today, that God has called you to preach. This is your will. But it may be your lane is to teach a Sunday school class. It may be your lane is to work with children through Sunday school or through programs like Awana. It may be your lane is to work in the nursing home, as some of you do. Or it may be that your lane is to send cards and notes to encourage others. It may be that the will of God for you may be that you are successful in business or you've been placed in a certain vocation in order that you might be a large contributor to the work of God. You see, there are many different lanes on God's course. But there is the lane that has been assigned to me and the lane that has been assigned to you. It's a course on which we run. Are you with me now? Second of all, when I think of not only the personal nature of this race, a personally run race, not only do I think of a course on which we run, but I think, second of all, of a crown for which we reach. 
There is a course that has been assigned to us. It's, my, it's God's will for my life. It is God's will for your life. But on this course, there is this crown for which we reach. I think of 1 Corinthians 9, 25. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Every runner, every Olympic runner has made his or her goal the winning of a bronze or a silver and ultimately a gold medal. There is the prize for which they reach there is the prize for which they strive. That is the goal and the ambition of every runner. But as the Bible said, they do it to win a corruptible crown. But we that are saved, we are striving for an incorruptible crown. We're after more than bronze. And we're after more than silver. And we're after more than gold. We are after a heavenly reward. And so there's this matter that this course, this lane that God has assigned, and our goal is that we might obtain. I mentioned the movie a moment ago, Chariots of Fire. And I think about a scene in that movie involving Eric Little and his sister Jenny. And Jenny, if you remember the movie, she was not in favor of Little running at all. She felt like that his running was dividing his loyalties. Instead of being totally committed to Christ, she was saying to him, instead of running, here you are, you can't be totally committed to Christ and be running at the same time. She, she felt his loyalties were being divided. But, and she reminds him in that scene that, Eric, God has made you for himself. And I remember in the movie he responded this way, I, Jenny, I know. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I think about the matter of this crown for which we reach, and I want to say to you this morning that the ultimate reward that we strive for is that when we stand before the Lord, He is pleased with our life, that we want to please God now, and so that when we stand before Him, we'll hear the well done of our Savior. You see, the course on which we run speaks of our assignment by God, but the crown for which we reach speaks of our appearance before God. You see, every one of us has been given a lane to run. Every believer has been given a, an assigned course to run. But I want to remind you that not only have you been given a lane to run, but every one of us individually, personally, will appear before God one of these days. No exceptions, no exemptions. Each of us has a personal assignment by God, and we face a personal appearance before God. So there's this personal side of this race. We are in a race we're God's runners. We're running on, in the will of God, and we're running for the crown that awaits us, running the race. It is a personally run race. But second of all, not only do I think of a personally run race, but there's a second word that I want you to underscore, and that is the word well. I think second of all of a properly run race. Ye run well, you might say. You me, every one of us, there's our race to run. But there's a way in which we're to run that race. We are to run that race well. The word well simply means good. And he's talking about running a good race. It is descriptive of a properly run race. As a believer, running our race, we are to run our race well. But you say, Brother Ken, how do we run the race well? How can I properly run my race? Again, I want you to look at the pictures of a runner that are found in the Bible. And I believe they tell you how you can run the race well. Jot these three things down. One, 
I believe that a properly run race, number one, is a focused life. That if you're going to run well, then there must be a focused life. I think of 1 Corinthians 9, 26. Paul made this statement. In 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I therefore so run not as uncertainly. Underscore the word uncertainly. It speaks of that which is hidden. It speaks of that which has not been manifest. Paul said, I am not running without an objective. I'm not running without a goal in my life. He is saying that I am not running uncertainly. He's not saying there is nothing hidden or something hasn't been manifest in my life. No, I have a purpose. I have a reason. I am focused on that thing that God has given me to do. He is speaking of himself as a focused runner. I think about runners. A runner is totally committed and focused on being the best runner they can be. A runner in the Olympics doesn't just run a few hours a week and then show up for a race and expect to win or even be competitive. Their whole life is focused on their running and the kind of runner they can be. Their diet, their discipline, their dedication, all of it is a part of being focused. This is what they want to be. This is what they want to do. This is what they want to become. And so their whole life is focused on that manner. May I say to you today that if we as Christians want to run our race well, then living the Christian life cannot be a part-time practice. Can I say it again? If we're going to run our race well, then we cannot be a part-time Christian. You see, being a Christian is more than a Sunday morning thing. It's a seven-day affair. Many Christians, they treat the Christian life like it's just one of the many things that their life is made up of. They have this, and they have that, and they have this, and they have that. And then right here is their Christian life. It's their Monday thing, or their Sunday thing, or their Wednesday thing. But I want to remind you that running the race and running it well means that you are totally focused, and there is a total commitment of your life. This past Friday, I preached the funeral of Lee Porter, 97 years old. And many of you remember Lee. You that are new, you won't remember him. He's not been able to come for a number of years. But before he got down to where he couldn't come, he was here every Sunday. He said about five, four, five rows back there. And he was an interesting character. And uh, we all loved Lee as a deacon here when I came here back in 1986. And the Lord used him for many years. You know his love. He had a love for music. And for close to 70 years, for close to 70 years, he led choirs all over this area. He started leading a choir at Mountain Creek Baptist Church at the age of 17 in 1921. And for over 70 years of his life, he led choirs throughout this area. I remember when he gets to sing once in a while, Rick would say, Lee, come up and lead his song. Well, he'd come up and lead that, and then he'd lead two more before we ever got him down. You remember how that was? And when he'd sing, he'd sing with all of his being. But you, I thought about a song. In fact, I even made reference to this when I preached his funeral on Friday. I remember when I first came here and Lee would sing, there was a little song that he used to sing. Do you remember that little song he used to get up and sing? He was talking about uh, seven-day religion. You've got to live your religion every day. You remember him singing that song? Stanza 1 said, some people go to church on Sunday. They stand up and shout. And then they go to work on Monday and they leave the Savior out. To think they've done their duty to say I especially like the second stanza. When you go to church on Sunday, when they pass the plate around, just dig deep in your pocket. Don't shake your head and frown. Can I get an amen right there? 
Don't turn many two-bit over to look for a penny below, for you find your penny religion won't take you to the golden shore. Say amen right there. That's a good verse for We're going to learn that around here as a course in our building program. But what I'm saying is that living for Christ is a seven-day affair. If you want to run the race, there must be this focus, a total commitment of your life. But second of all, not only does running your race well involve a focused life, but it also involves a faithful life. Hebrews 12, 1, I read it a moment ago, but let me read it to you again. He said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The word patience speaks of endurance. It speaks of perseverance. It speaks to us of being faithful and being consistent. Let us run our race faithfully. Heard about an old fellow had an old wreck of a truck. Is a jalopy. Fenders hanging off of it. It's sputtering and whatever like that. Smoke boiled out of it. And he pulled into a gas station one day and asked for three gallons of gas. And the fellow said to him, don't you want to fill it up? And the old man said, no, it may not run that far. Well, I want to say to you this morning that when we run the race, and this race that we run, we must run it until the day we cross the finish line. Being faithful, letting nothing distract us, letting nothing discourage us, letting nothing defeat us. As a believer, there is no reason to quit. There is no time to quit. We must stick with the race. 1968, the Olympics in Mexico City. There was a runner by the name of John Stephen Aquar of Tanzania. And with his right leg bloody and bandaged, he staggered into the stadium more than an hour after the winner had crossed the finish line. Imagine that. The winner had already crossed the line an hour, more than an hour, before he ever entered in the stadium because of an accident he had. But I like what he said in the interview afterwards. He said, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. And I want to remind you this morning, you haven't been saved just to start a race. You have been called to finish a race. And to run our race well is to run a faithful life. Not only a focused life, but a faithful life. But thirdly, if we're going to run our race well, not only must it be a focused life, not running uncertainly, and running with patience, a faithful life. But thirdly, it is a fruitful life. Paul said in Philippians 2, 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain. Paul testified, I do not run uncertainly. Paul testified, I have not run in vain. The word vain means empty. He said, I have not run without results. I have not run without fruit. He is stating that he had lived a fruitful life. Listen to me. You want to run your race well? There's that lane God's given you. It's the will of God for your life. You're to get on that lane. You're to run your race. And if you're going to run it well, then you run a fruitful life. As a believer, the Bible tells us that our race is to be fruitful and productive. Romans 7, 4 speaks of how we're to bear fruit unto God. Jesus said in John 15, 16, that I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And he preceded that by stating, here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. I am to live a focused life seven days a week. Every waking moment of my life is to be focused on this matter of running my race and running it well. I am to live a faithful life, running till I get to the finish line, but I am to live a fruitful life. I once read an article in Moody Monthly entitled, The Christian's Garden. 
And he was talking about the kind of Christian we ought to be. And it read, had to plant this kind of garden in your life. It read, first, plant five rows of peas, preparedness, promptness, perseverance, politeness, and prayer. Next to them, plant three rows of squash, squash gossip, squash criticism, and squash indifference. Can I get amen right there? And then five rows of lettuce. Let us be faithful. Let us be unselfish. Let us be loyal. Let us be truthful. Let us love one another. And then he said, and no garden is complete without turnips. Turn up for church and turn up with a smile and turn up with determination. Can I get it? Amen. I'm saying to you that our life is to be like a fruitful garden. To run the race well is to run a focused life. It is to run a faithful life. It is to run a fruitful life. But look at the third thing, and this brings us to the question itself. I had you mark the word you or ye, the personal nature of this race. And the word well, running the race properly. But I want you to underscore the word did. And I want you to think with me about a poorly run race. For you not only have a personally run race and a properly run race, but our text said, ye did run well. You have a poorly run race. And then the question follows, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? In closing, let's notice the question that was asked. And let me sum it up in these two things. One, when I look at this statement, the question I see for one thing, a past testimony. Paul said, ye did run well. Ye did run well. You see, there had been a time in the lives of the believers at Galatia when they had run the race well. You might say they had run a focused life. They had run a faithful life. They had run a fruitful life. They had run a good race. But now, he says, they're running a poor race. They're not running well. You did run well. Could it be in this building today, there are some that the words, you did run well, would be a fitting description of your life today? Is it possible that sitting in this room today, there are folks that if there was a description given to you or a verse of Scripture that could be pulled out and given to you to describe where you are now, it would be this, ye did run well. That is, you won. There was a time in your life you ran the race well, but you're not running well now. There was a time in your life you were so faithful to church. You never missed a service. You allowed nothing or no one to keep you out of church on the Lord's day. Church attendance was a priority in your life. It was a settled issue. The children didn't have to ask you on Saturday night, Daddy, are we going to church tomorrow? That was settled. It was the Lord's day. The church door opened, and you were going to be there. You never miss. But could it be now that you come one Sunday and you miss another? You come one Sunday, miss two. You come two, miss three. What could it be today that you are in and out when you used to be so faithful you ran well? It may be today that for some of you, attending church is not the issue. It could be that you're here every Sunday. You're fairly regular in your attendance. But you used to be so involved in the church. You used to be so involved in the work of God. You sang in the choir. You sung specials. You taught Sunday school. You were involved and you worked in the ministry of the church. You were so involved in what was going on around here or in the, word, in the Lord's work. But now... You come, you sit on the pew, you watch things as they happen. You used 
to run so well? Could it be there's somebody here today you used to take how you live so seriously? You guarded your life. You kept your life clean. You never trifled in sin. To the best of your ability, you kept your life clean before God. There was a hatred for sin and not a tolerance of sin. Your private life was just as clean as your public life. But yet there are things now in your life that you know is not right. And things in your life now that you know that is not right before God. You did run well. I mentioned the matter of giving. I really believe this about giving. And I'm not just talking about giving in order to get you to give more to the building program. If that's my motive, then that's wrong and that's sin, and I need to get that right with God. But I believe this today, that giving is one of the most important things of our Christian life. I came this morning, got here and realized I left my checkbook. I called Sherry. I said, bring the checkbook. And uh, she forgot the checkbook. And I, honest for God, I felt so bad. I thought, I can't, I won't be able to put my tithe in the day. And then it happened to dawn on me that I had an extra check over and, and a little money bag that I had. And it bothered me because I wouldn't, wasn't, I'd walked up and left the checkbook and would not be able to tithe. Because I want you to know something. Giving is a very, very, I take giving very, very serious. Because I believe that giving is very important in our life. In fact, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 calls it a collection. And the word collection that is used there is a word that means to say something. The way you give says something about you. The way I give says something about me. It says something about whether or not I trust God. It says something about my faith in God. It says something about my love for God, my obedience to God. I know that I'm supposed to give at least 10% of my income to God every week, but if I were to give less than what God is asking me, it's saying something about me. It's saying something about how much I love God. Because if I love God, I'm going to do what He tells me to do, even in my giving. Amen? And when I give over and you give over and above, it says something about you. It says something about how much you love God. It says how much the eternal means more to you than the earthly. It says a lot about us, but it could be that some of you here today, giving was such an important part of your life. You never dreamed of coming to church without giving that which belonged to God. Every day every, when you got your paycheck on Friday, the first thing that you did was write your check out to the Lord. You were so faithful in your giving, but now you give God so little, and you give Him far less than what you ought to do. Drop a little bit here, in, here there, and yonder. It may be that someone here used to be so close to the Lord. You had a deep love for the Lord. You had a deep love for His Word. You had a deep love for His work. Prayer was a part of your life. The Bible was a blessed book, not a book on the shelf gathering dust. There was a great sense of God's presence in your life, but now you find yourself away from God. I thought about two students. I think about two students I read about that employed for their first summer job. And they got a job with the public works. And what they were to do was to paint lines down the center of the highway. And his supervisor told him, he said, now the first week you're on probation, you have to average two miles a day to be able to keep your job. So the first day they painted over four miles a line. And the supervisor was so excited, he thought, now these guys are really going to work out. They painted four miles a line a day. Well, the second day they only painted two miles. And he thought about it, it bothered him a little bit. He said, yes, they painted four today, only two, but yet... They're still keeping their average up. But the next day, they painted less than a quarter of a mile. And so he brought them in. He said, I want to know what's, I don't understand. The first day you did so well, you painted four miles. The second day it was, was not as good as the first day, but you still did good. You painted two miles. But today you only painted a quarter of a mile. What's wrong? And they said, we keep getting further and further away from the bucket. Well, I want to ask you today, what is it that's getting you further and further away from the bucket? 
Amen. I tell you where they was from, but I better not do it today. Amen. Uh, but what is it? I could go on and on and on and on, but I think you get the point. You did run well. But today you're not running the race and running it well. We all are familiar with John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote many more hymns than just Amazing Grace. He wrote what he called the Olney hymns, and uh, many of them. But one of my favorites, you never hear it sung anymore, is a song entitled How Tedious and How Tasteless. Maybe you've heard the song, How Tedious and Tasteless the Hours When Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness for me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in him, December's as pleasant as May. Did you hear the song? Could it be that Jesus no longer you see? Could it be that the things of God have lost their sweetness to you? Has the Son of God, has the sun ceased to shine in your life? Could it be today that your testimony is that you did run well? Look at the last thing. You not only see in the question a past testimony, but you see a present tragedy. Paul asks the question. He makes a statement, now you did run well. You did. You used to run well. Then he says, Here was, here's what I want to know. Who did hinder you? Underscore the word hinder for just a moment. It is a word that describes a runner cutting in on another runner. Now, if you keep up with the Olympics, and I've made several Olympic stories today because I love the Olympics. But if you keep up with the Olympics, you may recognize the name Mary Decker Slaney. She was an Olympic runner that during the 80s compiled 36 American records and 17 world records. In 1982, she was the fastest woman at every distance between 800 meters and 10,000 meters. And in 1982, she won the Sullivan Award as the best amateur athlete of the year. However, for Miss Slaney, Olympic medals always eluded her. In the 1976 Olympics, she was sidelined by stress fractures in her legs. In 1980, she was not able to attend the Olympics because President Carter decided to boycott the games. In 1984, when everybody thought this would be the year, she was ready, trained, disciplined, good health during a 3,000-meter race in Los Angeles. When again, when it appeared that she might win her medal, as the race neared its end, a runner from South Africa moved over in front of her and tripped her, and she fell on the track in pain. And her injuries kept her from being a featured performer in the 88 and the 92 games. But think about it. Now, if you can get that picture now, of that runner coming over in front of Mary Decker Slaney and tripping her and causing her to stumble, you get the picture. You did run well. Now, who hindered you? Who cut in on you? What made you fall? What tripped you up in the race of life? He's saying, of course, the Galatians, he's, of course, referring to the Judaizers that had would come in, were pulling them out of grace and back in the law. But he says to all of us, and he speaks to all of us, what is it that you have allowed to cut in on you and to trip you up? What have you allowed to get you out of church? Has it been a job? Has it been a hobby? Has it been some other activity? What is it that you have caused and allowed you to keep, get you to quit serving God? What sin have you allowed to steal your heart and affections from the Lord? 
What's caused you to quit giving to God and giving less and less to the Lord? What is it? What cut it on you? What tripped you up in the race? There's a book that I read a few years ago that deeply spoke to my heart. And I read a lot of books and read a lot of articles and materials and different things. But once in a while, I'll run across something that just really gets a hold on me. And one of the books that I read a few years ago was this book by Steve Ferrar entitled Finishing Strong. And I would encourage everybody, if you can find the book, get it and read it, and especially you preachers, simply titled Finishing Strong. But in the book, he tells the story of John Biziano, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. He tells about when John was just about ready to finish college. He was having dinner at his fiancé's house one night. And after supper, he was talking to his future father-in-law, Dr. Paul Beck. Dr. Beck had been in the ministry for years. But they were sitting there talking, and Dr. Beck looked at him and said, John, as you're getting ready to enter the ministry, I want to give you some advice. Stay true to Jesus. Make sure you keep your heart close to Jesus every day. It's a long way from here to where you're going to go, and Satan's in no hurry to get you. And he continued. He said, John, it's been my observation that just one out of ten, now listen to this, just one out of ten who start out in full-time service for the Lord at the age of 21 are still on track by the age of 65. They're shot down morally. They're shot down with discouragement. They're shot down with liberal theology. They're obsessed with making money. But for one reason or another, nine out of ten fall out. John Biziano said, I really found that difficult to believe. It shocked me what my father, future father-in-law said. And I really had difficulty to believe him. But this is what he did. John Biziano went home, took one of the blank pages in the back of his Schofield Reference Bible, and he wrote down the names of 24 young men who were his peers and his contemporaries. They were young men in their 20s who were sold out to Jesus. They were trained for the ministry. They burned, there was burning in their heart a desire to be used by God. They were committed young preachers who would make an impact for the Lord in their generation. But Biziano relates with the following sigh. He said, I am now 53 years old. And from time to time, as the years have gone by, I've had to turn back to that page in that Bible and cross out a name. I wrote down those 24 names when I was just 20 years old. 33 years later, there are only three names remaining of the original 24. You know what we ought to say today with the help and the grace of God? I don't want it to be said of me, ye did run well. I don't want to become a casualty by the help and the grace of God. I want to finish strong. Don't you? Let me close with a poem. I'm not big on poems. But let me close with a poem out of the book, Finishing Strong. It's entitled The Race. It's about a little boy, about a young boy competing in a race that he desperately wanted to win, but he failed three times during the race. Listen to it. Defeat. He lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes. I'm out. Why try? The wheel to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. So far behind, so error-prone, closer all the way. I've lost so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad. Soon he'd have to face. Give up, an echo sounded low. Or get up, an echo sounded low. 
Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. So get up and win the race. With borrowed wheel, get up, it said. You haven't lost it all. For winning is not more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he arose to win once more, and with the new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still, he gave it all he had and ran as though he'd win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win. He still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed. First place. Head high, proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line, last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed unproud, you would have thought he won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you, give, you fall. Quit. Give up your beating. They still shout in my face. But another voice within me says, get up and win that race. Have you fallen out of the race? Has something cut in on you and tripped you up in the race? Then get up. I want you to know today there is a God in heaven that will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you. Don't stay down. Get up. Finish the race. The race is not over and no place to quit and no place to live in despair. Finish the race. Run the race that is left. Let's stand to our feet, please. You did run well, Paul said. Now, who did hinder you? Can you ask yourself the question today? Ask yourself the question how are you running the race? You have a race. You're saved. You have a race. You have a lane God's given you to run in. Now, you may not even be running in the lane. You may not even be trying to fulfill what God's called you to do. Then what you ought to do today is, is get in the running. You're a runner. That's what you've been saved to do is run. I want you to do what you've been saved to do. But maybe you've been running. Maybe there's a testimony. Your testimony is that you did run well. Why don't you get up out of your seat today and come and say, God, I don't want it to be said of me. I don't want the descriptive term of my life to be, I did run well. I want to run well. I want to run well. I want to once again run well. Why don't you get up out of your seat? No matter who you are, where you are, you used to serve God. You used to be faithful to God. You used to love the Lord. You used to take life so seriously for the things of God. But now you've let these things, uh, you're not running well. Why don't you get up out of your seat today? It doesn't matter who you are, man, woman, boy, girl, member of Israel, balcony down here, over here in this wing. Get up out of your seat, walk down here and say, God, I want to run well. And then I would encourage runners in this room today. You ought to get up out of your seat and walk down here and say, Dear God, by the grace of God, I've been able to run well, but God let me finish strong. Don't let me allow something to cut in on me and take me out of the race. You ought to fall on your face and say, Dear God, I am your representative, and I want to run well, and don't let me become a casualty. 
Don't let me be tripped up. Lord, let me run my race and let me run my race well. Will you do that? You ought to come. There may be those that day if they're not saved, you ought to get up out of your seat and come and say, I want to run my race well. Or you want to come and say, I want to be saved. You need Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. In fact, I'm going to talk to you in just a second. There may be those today that need to come. Unite with this church. This is where God is leading you. This is the fellowship you want to be a part of. You're excited about what God is doing here. You want to get in on what God is doing. Exciting days are ahead for us. Now, why don't you get up out of your seat today and come and say, I want to be a part of Temple Baptist Church. Just walk down here to the front. We'll get the information that we need from you. Now, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe there's someone in this room today that is not saved. You do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And right now where you stand, you say to yourself, Preacher, I don't want to die without Jesus and go to hell. I wouldn't want to die and be left behind. I wouldn't want to be left behind if Jesus were to return. I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. I want to be saved. Right now where you stand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Right now where you stand, in the wing, up in the balcony, across the building, if you're sincere and you want to be saved and you want to go to heaven when you die, I want you to pray this simple little prayer with me right now. And God's people all across the building are praying. Will you pray this little prayer with me right now? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to hell when I die. I want to be saved. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose again for me. And right now, I ask you to save me for Jesus' sake. Right now, I take you as my personal Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.